Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Conquest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the TalkHouse Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we've got a pair of talented songwriter performers who've known each other for years and who've both had busy years in 2023, Margaret Glaspie and Bridget Carney. Now, Margaret Glaspie has quietly built an impressive catalog of songs over the past decade, putting her sharp lyrics front and center. Her third album, Echo the Diamond, came out earlier this year, and it takes a turn back toward more organic sounds after 2020's Devotion. You may have seen Glaspie on tour over the years with the likes of The Lumineers or Nico Case, and she just finished her first post-pandemic solo run throughout the U.S. She's an amazing live performer. Chicagoans will have a chance to see her this December when Glaspie opens Andrew Bird's yearly holiday concerts there. In the meantime, check out a little bit of the bluesy, scrappy Act Natural from Echo the Diamond. I've pulled around this earth a few times over, but never have I ever seen Something so absurd Are you a paradise bird? The other half of today's conversation, Bridget Carney, is best known as a member of the band Lake Street Dive, the soulful indie pop outfit that's been kicking around for the past 20 or so years, and probably playing a big theater in your town sometime soon. In addition to holding down the low end for that band, Carney makes slightly more somber music as a solo artist and more groove-oriented experimental songs in a trio called B.B. Wisely. You'll hear about all that in this chat. In other words, she's not that into sitting still, musically or physically. Check out a bit of the great I Bet You Are from Carney's 2023 solo album, Snakes of Paradise. In this lively chat, Glassby and Carney talk about their longtime friendship, which leads to powerful microscopes. They talk about Carney's three musical lanes and how you should trust your gut when the recording vibe is off. And then they get into some powerful advice about exactly how many fucks one should give in a day. It seems like a great system to me, so check it out. Good to see you. We were just very recently together, which is so special and nice. Oh, it was so fun. Yeah, you were part of the Margaret Glasby tour, which was so cool. <laughs> it was like a road trip I would have gladly taken, even yeah. if I didn't have the shows. Which How is... was that for you? I hope it was fun for you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what a crew. <laughs> it was a pretty epic crew. For those of you who are listening, Bridget was wonderfully a very special guest of ours on very recent tour that I was doing for my record Echo the Diamond. And so she graced us with her musical and personal presence, which was great. Rolling with us in the van, doing the whole hang. <laughs> so much fun. Visiting the, um, you guys went to that like weird lab or something? We went to see some very powerful microscopes that can like watch little fish swim around that are like translucent. So wow. 
they can look at like what part of the fish's brain is like activating when it's doing certain things. I think they're called zebrafish and they're like very, very tiny. Right. Like minnow kind of vibes, like tiny, tiny. Even smaller. It's like somehow super useful to biologists, microbiologists, anybody that's like studying the way mind and body connect. It felt fitting for you to go to like a microscope lab in the sense that I had memories of going to your dad's workplace, which was kind of lab-like in its environment of him studying and teaching virtual reality, right? Yeah. 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 Which did was you, like, do you remember I, what you did? I did some goggle action. I remember also like having the virtual reality experience of the car testing stuff. It was like the sensors for understanding how cars can sense people in the way. Yeah, I, this was like a study that they were doing to see how, yeah, people make decisions when crossing the street with the intention of like better creating signage and, and just like solutions. So people don't get hit by cars as much, you know, it's like, if we understand how people make decisions, we can get better at it. But they, they were like using virtual reality to test this. So they didn't have to like hit people with real cars, (laughs) which is useful. Thank you you to your dad, (laughs) (laughs) which kind of leads me to a point, I guess. I know you Bridget through, years and years of friendship. We met as young musicians back in the day. I'm 34 now. I think I was 16 or 17 when I like maybe officially met you. Does that feel about right? You invited me to come play some music at uh, and be a part of a band that you were, you know, had created, co-created. So then I was kind of, you know, included in the fold for a little while. And it really was like the introduction of my sense of like professional musicianship for, you know, that was the very beginning for me, which is very informative, informative years for me. And I think that throughout my years of friendship with you, because now I've known you for 17 years, which is so wild. I have come to learn that I feel like your brain is so cool because there's a very analytical side to it. And then also at the same time, incredibly creative, which I think is probably everyone to some degree, some kind of like chemistry of both. But when I learned that your dad was working in kind of a more scientific background, somehow it made a lot of sense to me, like thinking about you as a, as a human and your ability to kind of decipher through things in like not just a feelings way, but also like a mind way. And I think that um, it's kind of sweet to tell you that now because I never tell you that <laughs> as a buddy, because why would I, why would that come up? But um, it makes me think about for so long, you've been like a songwriting partner in my mind of someone that is dealing in song and craft and thinking about it really heavily. And I deal in those waters quite a bit too. And a lot of people that I look up to in that zone also have kind of a, there's like a, a puzzly aspect to it that I think comes up a lot. It's like someone that likes to solve something or get to the bottom of something by the way of not necessarily analysis, but like problem solving in a way. I don't know if I'm like on the right track in terms of the way that you do think about it, but I do get a sense that we may be similar in that way. Absolutely. Yeah. I think like both musically and lyrically, there's like a really satisfying kind of like mathiness that exists to think about like like the puzzle of just like how do I use words to convey 
meaning like very precisely and then create all these little elements of like continuity throughout the flow of the song and like yeah the when when you're kind of on the path somewhere i feel like that almost creates like a a not a spreadsheet but like a you know you're of, like, okay, you know, yeah, yeah what are all the possible outcomes that could occur <laughs> yeah. this? you it's know like, like risk assessment or like data science or something yeah yeah like we're on this path but where could it go and then and then what's the best solution but it's all like at the service of emotion yeah um, right 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 so it's like creating something really deliberate and exacting in a way to kind of provoke feeling in a, in a feeling. sense yeah exactly yeah. Did you ever see this video of, um, it was like one of the first viral YouTube videos of Jacob Collier and he's just like getting interviewed about harmony. It really tickled me because he is like, so like hyper intelligent and, and, and like, uh, mathy with music, but he's also in this interview displaying like how he puts that at the service of the emotion, like, like talking about like, like a, a, a perfect cadence feels like like you're landing at home, but a fatal <laughs> cadence is it's more like a hug. <laughs> like you really right. just like use yeah. the technical things for right to, like, just to get to the to the the good bits. Yeah, like the actual kind of feeling things. I, I believe that you're writing sometimes at times for like different situations. So, like Street Dive being the bass player and songwriter and you know, singing at times for Lake Street Dive, does that feel like more or less analytical process than it would be to write like a Bridget Carney song? Or are you always writing Bridget Carney songs that get like plugged into Lake Street Dive? Do you feel like you have a sense of that? Or is it like not so deliberate or I don't know? I have sort of like three main projects that I'm writing for and and they each have like, again, just like different, mostly emotional states that they exist in. Like a Lake Street Dive show, what I love about it is just like the energy of the band and like the, what we're putting off to the audience is like, even if the song is like technically sad, it usually feels pretty fun. Like that's right. kind of the lane that we're, we're. Right. It's getting. like giving you an experience. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, because I'm putting my fun songs over there, there's like two other lanes that I kind of like to exist in. And one of them is like sad songs or just like more personal kind of like introspective songs. Right. And and those all kind of like work on as like a solo thing. And then like the band with Ben and Will, BB Wisely. Right. That's like experimental. There. The punchline thing, if, like, is not on the hook as much in terms of like, and it has to wrap it all up in a bow and give it to you perfectly. It's more like, no, let's just see what happens if you do X, Y, and Z. That's super rad. And I, I was just thinking about getting to know each other first years ago with Joy Kill Sorrow. Like, that was, <laughs> it was really cool to me that you quit the band. Um, <laughs> because... <laughs> And I think it's it's like something that um, I really admire about you is that you like can be super um, strongly in charge of like what kind of music you're making and nice. like just really directive with things and like knowing when you're like, this is what I'm into and this is not what I'm not into. And like th- that's um, I don't know, this is something I've talked to Ben Davis about 
to not about you, but just in general, like the importance of like not liking things or knowing when right. something isn't a perfect fit for you. Cause if you're always just jumping into like whatever's on the table, then it's not going to be the truest form of you, you know? Right, right, right. That's so funny. It's interesting that you say that. I feel like lately, and maybe it's because I'm back out on the road and, you know, post COVID, like working again and on tour again, uh, properly and really out, out in the, in the world because I was kind of in my own home and kind of sheltered in a way, I didn't have to contend, I would say, as much with having to be declarative about what I needed because it was like, I'm at home and I get to just work on what I need to. I mean, thankfully, you know, I had the kind of luxury of being able to take a little time and work on some stuff. But um, now that I'm back on the road again, <laughs> the world can pull on you in so many different ways in so many different directions. And this feeling of like declaring what path you're taking and declaring what you need for yourself and declaring what the next step will be can be incredibly daunting incredibly exhausting and bizarre at times, especially when it's on your own behalf decisions. <laughs> There's nothing to hide behind never, um, which at yeah. times is super daunting. And then at other times is the biggest liberator because you only have to decide on behalf of yourself at all times um, in being maybe like a solo artist, I suppose. But the feeling of stating what you need at all times, sometimes often in the face of what other people would like is becoming familiar again, because I, I have to contend with more when you're actually doing it and out on the road again, I forgot kind of what it felt like in a way. And, uh, sometimes it's doesn't feel great. <laughs> and other times, you know, I can't wait to let people know what, what I need, uh, no matter what the consequence, um, so what I've found is like the more and more I'm in love with the music, the more, the easier and easier it is to say like, no, no, yes, no, no, yes. <laughs> because you're almost operating on behalf of something that's precious. It's like, you're kind of pr protecting something like a little baby or something. I don't know. In mm -hmm. some sense, what can we do to just keep it the way that it is and not tarnish it too much in the process of bringing it into the world. And it's kind of challenging to be honest with you. Another example of this that I've seen from you is like, making a record and then deciding that it's like not the one yet. My very first record, Emotions and Math, I made in my apartment at the time of the Upper West Side. And I think you played on it. I, I ended up scrapping that because I had just gotten a record deal with ATO. And so then I went into the studio and made it. So mm -hmm. that one, and I just wanted to be able to play it like live in the room with drums, et cetera. And then I also, I made Devotion one way and I cut that and then I made it another way in New York with Tyler Chester. And that was the keeper. And this one, um, one, one and done. <laughs> Echo the Diamond was one and done. But yes, I've had to scrap records before. And it's a terrifying thing to do, but also some, you just know that it's right. It feels like a show, a, a great show of like 
strength, mental strength to be able to do that. And also like humility, because like, it is your own thing that you like labored over. And then you're like, you know what, my thing is not good enough. Like, (laughs) try again. Right. There's no one else to really blame it on for sure. It's interesting because I think it's taught those times have taught me so much. Like the, it's always like this stuff. I don't know if this resonates for you, but like the stuff where you're just it's so challenging and it feels like the end of the world in some ways. Like, you mean we've invested how much money into making this record and now it's going to never be heard. There are like specific things that you've learned from that type of scenario. Yes. Yes. The biggest one is like, just trust your gut. Like when the vibe isn't happening, it's not happening. You know, I feel like that is just such a thing. Uh Uh-huh. Or it's like, if it's, it, and that's, it's, it's like stupidly simple. <laughs> yeah. And so hard and like, so relevant to anything. In yes. Life. When it's not <laughs> happening, it's just not happening. And it's yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. just move on. It's okay. If this is whack. It's true. Like where you go into a restaurant or something and you're like, this is whack. It's not going to all of a sudden become unwhack. I can tell it's whack. I'm going to go <laughs> yeah. somewhere else. <laughs> just, just go somewhere else. You know, you're in like a relationship. It's whack. <laughs> just don't be in that wow. one anymore. Just go to yeah. another restaurant. <laughs> yeah, totally. I feel like that's such a, a learning lesson for me and very hard to execute at times. I think that that mentality is not celebrated or like, Uh, you know, people don't get excited about that necessarily. There's a projection that, you know, you can make anything cool. We can, we can make this evolve, you know, whatever. But I think, and I Mm -hmm. think that there's a time and place and usually it's when there's more good than bad. And sometimes it's hard to decipher. Is there more good than, I don't know. Is there more good than bad? But I think our gut knows that, you know, Mm -hmm. is this like a toxic situation or not? Right. You're at the restaurant. Is there more good than, I don't, you know, <laughs> maybe you don't like the ambiance, but the food is amazing. So you're maybe, willing to hang out. <laughs> maybe the entrees aren't that good, but the dessert is amazing. Insane. Yeah. Like you're like, yeah. you're willing to have the weird pasta in order to get to the whatever. Not everything is so cut and dry. And yet at the same time, it kind of is at times, you know, like for the most part, you kind of know when something's whack or great. <laughs> so just go with the great stuff. as much as possible so you have to don't have so much interference you know with all the bad shit hey this is josh modell host of the talk house podcast we love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business Well, this episode of TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too, 
The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. Hey, TalkHouse listeners, it's Josh Modell. Instead of encouraging you to listen to podcasts today, I'm here to encourage you to read something great. The particular something I have in mind is the second issue of the TalkHouse Reader, the print zine spearheaded by our fantastic music editor, Annie Fell. This issue is focused on the intersection of food and music, and it features contributions from Maddie Matheson, Coleman Domingo, Squirrel Flower, Sam Evian, the Blessed Madonna, and more. There are pieces about eating while on tour, the gentrification of food, cooking as a creative catalyst, and much, much more. You can order a copy today, along with the first issue, at store.talkhouse.com. Please do check it out. I think sometimes there's been a projection of like, maybe it's cocky or it's arrogant that's made me very afraid of trusting my own instincts and asking for what I want. But then at the end of the day, when I do, everyone else is happier because of it. So it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. On behalf of myself and everyone else involved, this is what I need. And I don't want that. And I think at times it's felt like that is a bad thing to do because it is somehow making people feel bad or exuding some kind of arrogance when at the same, when really it's not, you're just asking for what's wrong with asking for what you need. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. nothing. And just owning the fact that when I do lean into my own instincts, things go better. What do you feel like are those things for you? Like in terms of learning, learning lessons of trying to get through challenging creative situations. I've definitely learned a lot about making decisions as a group from right. Lake Street Dive. Yeah. Because um, like we've been together for almost 20 years now. So and, incredible. You know, there's so many decisions that need to be made and making them as a solo artist, which I have less experience with, but I know that has like its own like version of challenge where it's just like, there's so much that you have to decide and no one else yeah. like really is, even if they tried to be as personally invested in the decision, it'll yeah. never be as important or make as much sense to anyone else but you. So like you, there's a lot of weight that comes with that. And then I think one of the most valuable things that I've like learned about doing that all that stuff as a group came from my friend, uh, Carl McGreer, who's a guy that went to college with us and is a producer out in LA. He has the uh, concept of three fucks a day. So you only get three fucks a day is the idea. Like, and, and in this context, I mean like giving a fuck about something or like taking a stand on something yeah. in the studio, for example, you know, the day goes by and there might be like a few times that you're like, well, I think it'd be better if we had a double chorus at the end of the song, but it's not worth like using up one of my fucks because yeah. <laughs> what if at the end of the day, they're like, I want to change all the lyrics to this song that you wrote. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, not a fuck. No, 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 like, no, I give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that 
like has been a really helpful concept in terms of just like knowing when something, and again, it's, it's all about following your instincts, but it's like knowing when to like, when you really care about something and believe in something in the way that you want it to be versus someone else disagreeing with you. So let's just, if it means if you give that, that once that's one of your fucks, then we'll go with it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So like, and that's, yeah, it's with doing that in terms of making the music, deciding what shows we're going to do everything, what restaurant we're going to go to. Yeah. Like it's, it's just kind of like saving up your fucks for when you really give a fuck. I feel like I would be the worst bandmate of all time. (laughs) (laughs) it would be a disaster um when you say that you have respect for my ability to maybe be decisive or whatever i have a lot of adoration for your ability and one's ability anyone's ability to be able to kind of collectively like make things with other human beings i think sometimes i've become such a kind of self-sustaining thing that there's very little room to kind of like let air in. And I think that's also just the nature of how I started songwriting and all the things. It's like very much like a bedroom zone of just doing Mm -hmm. things by yourself, creating your own vocabulary, like honing in on something over and over again that doesn't really include other people necessarily. But the ability to actually interact and collaborate is something that I feel more and more curious about. And I've always held you in high regard in that way, your ability to be able to kind of like bring people together and actually, you know, like collaborate on things. It's really cool. I think it's super special. And I think that that's, it's wild to think that I've known, you know, like Lake Street Dive for so long, (laughs) like all of you guys for so long and have watched you evolve for so long to see you guys grow up together and make together is just such a sweet and beautiful thing. It really is super special that you guys can evolve together that for that long is like, holy cow. It's really kind of miraculous. There's your, there's your compliments for the day. (laughs) Stop, 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 stop. No, keep going. Stop. (laughs) Uh, Do you, well, I know we've like worked on songs together, but are you in a phase right now where you like writing songs with other people or for other people? Like if, if a songwriter came around and was like, I want you to help me write something like, is that, is that something that intrigues you or, or not? I, do, I mean, I would, I would be so stoked to do it more often. Um, and I, I would be really excited to write for, um, you know, like singers and other artists and to collaborate. I think that truly it doesn't feel like at times my wheelhouse, like it's almost like maybe a touch obsessive compulsive on some level where it's like, I need to complete it and, and see it all the way through. And so it can be difficult for me psychologically to collaborate on something because it's hard to complete it. It feels open-ended at times. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also just a sign of, it's also really, you know, like people that write songs together, it seems while well, people talk about it casually as though like you can just do it and write songs together. I think it's also like one in a million of like people that you actually enjoy writing songs together, like a John and Paul kind of situation. <laughs> like that's mm-hmm. like, that's, you know, you are one of the few people that I've 
been able to write a song with. I've done it a couple of other times. I did it with Ryan Lerman once um, for my new record. There's a song in there. It's a co-write uh, called Hammer in the Nail. That one's with Ryan. Oh, cool. I didn't know you guys wrote that together. Yeah. Usually the best way that it works for me is really if somebody already has a song and then I go and take whatever I want of it <laughs> and write a new song, mm-hmm. That's, which is kind of how we did. Um, yeah. You're smiling, but I don't believe you. Yeah. That but, one was. Yeah. So I feel like there's a pattern, I think, there for me where if I can just take what I want and kind of like do let my brain, you know, do it, then uh, that works really well. The other co-write that I did was with Daniel Clark. And that was um, a song on my second record. Uh, called uh stay with me i had the bulk of that written but then daniel did some chordal stuff with me and we kind of i just hung out with him for a couple days in richmond and you know we just like did our thing and uh talked music for a few days it was super fun but we wrote that song together and he helped me with a lot of like harmonic stuff which was rad Mm-hmm. So here and there, I'm able to I'm able to, to hang a little bit, but it's, it's a little bit. It's it's mostly like hard on my mind. <laughs> I did this session with Alwyn Robinson, yes, and Ben Davis, Benjamin Lazar Davis, and it was for Alwyn's record. And Ben is so like he's always just flowing, like yeah. whatever the one idea leads seamlessly into the next. So so Alwyn and Ben would just be like working on a track, like, like tracking things already. The song isn't finished yet. And uh, the room that we were tracking in had a bunk bed in it. And I was just lying on top of the bunk bed, listening <laughs> to what we we're doing and like weirding out in my brain about like ideas that might be cool. And I just be, like, silent for like two hours while they're working on it. And then be like, I think the chorus should go like this, you know? Right, right. Totally. <laughs> right. You just drop in two hours later and be like, okay, this is the chorus. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And they're like, sweet. Oh yeah. Let's lay it down. You know? Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. Back down on the bunk bed. You got to come to the house and you just be like in the corner by yourself for two hours yeah. as I'm writing a song and you'd be like, here's the bridge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a cool way to do it. Actually. That would be, that would be kind of fun. Or like I wrote one time with Katie Pruitt. Do you know yeah. her? She's so I good. Know. We like wrote one song in the morning, like just kind of, I was like, I don't know. I've always wanted to write like a 12 a eight shuffle pop song. Like, let's try that. You know? So we kind of like just got on the train and, and, kept it rolling and then like finished a song like neither of us really thought it was good but we did it and then we like went to lunch and started like talking to each other about you know just what's what's in your life what are you about you know like hanging and then went back to the studio afterwards and she sort of like had an idea of a like musical like a lyrical thread that she really believed in felt felt like was personal and true to her and she just kind of sat there and like was playing chords and like singing lyrics and I would just be like oh, yeah that's good right I was just like a hype person almost like I was pretty much there just to like watch her write the song and occasionally <laughs> like you know tweak a line or something right. I think sometimes there's also really a big power to audience you know like who you're around I remember being on a text thread where I just corralled Theo Katzman and Ryan Lerman on and said like, I'm going to start writing a song a day for a little while and I'm going to send it to you guys. (laughs) 
and no pressure, whatever you guys, if you guys want to also do it, you can, but there's something in understanding that like friends of mine, musician, friends of mine, etc., are going to be receiving this. And so I have this audience and it kind of makes you want to like flex a little bit. <laughs> show totally, off. Totally. Bit. I feel like they start to shine more when I have a little bit of an audience, um, which is super cool. Like it starts to make you want to kind of impress in a cool way of like, mm-hmm. all right, I think I can like put these dots together and, and show it to you. That's a, that's a cool form of collaboration. Like, yes, totally. I remember getting a demo in a text from you of, um, (laughs) I'm a little too turned on. Oh, cool. Right. Totally. Yeah. I think I was in, uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Nice. Um, Cool. Yeah. I can like picture where I was when I heard that demo and I was like, damn, Margaret is killing it. (laughs) Yeah. That's so funny. (laughs) That's exactly the uh the response that I was wanting, by the way. <laughs> and when I send those texts, like nobody responds. <laughs> it's just like I'm like, yo, check this out. And they're like, my song or what? Yeah, cr- crickets for like two weeks. And they're like, oh, by the way, listen to your and you know, it's like goes on forever. That's hilarious. Oh my gosh, songwriting. It just never ends. I could talk about it forever. Truly. Truly, truly. I mean, it's, I feel like in, for me, I just wrapped up a record. I'm in the process of playing it right now, out live, doing the tour thing. I think right now you are on tour. I'm uh, five shows into a one month long Make Street Dive tour. You're in it. You are in it. Yeah. So cool. So cool. And tell me where all your records are at right now. BB well, Wisely, you, when's the last like release of that? Maybe Wisely like has just been putting out singles. We made yeah, yeah. a whole record, but we've just been like putting them out as singles. So we have one coming out next month called Teddy Bear. That is a really a song that I'm really stoked about. Will sent me a chords and gibberish melody, and I sort of like extracted some sounds that felt good to me from his gibberish and like made meaning out of them and then constructed the sort of narrative around that cool yes so that one i'm really stoked about he like was getting into brian wilson and the harmonic stuff is like really amazing that i could never have written so like right 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 like a really particular chordal vocabulary yeah yeah so it's it's just that's one of the cool things about collaboration in general is like putting together tracks that i couldn't have done by myself yeah Um, and like similarly, Lake Street Dive just finished recording an album. It'll Woo! be it'll be out next summer. Um, and we co-wrote some of the songs. And so, for one thing, we had a conversation before writing any songs for the record about like what what do we particularly want to say with this record? Yeah. So, like thematically, we came to the idea that we wanted it to be a joyful rebellion. Mm. like we wanted the songs to give the feeling of joy like without ignoring all of the problems that exist in the world you know like we're kind of there's a lot of shit right now there's a lot of dark things that are happening forces in the world you know um weighing upon us so like it's not about a fantasy that those things don't exist but it's about 
a fantasy that there's still a way forward, you know? Mm. So that's a lot to put into song and it's really different than what we've kind of focused on in the past, which has mostly been like love songs or breakup songs or whatever. And so that was just kind of like a challenge that we gave ourselves and it was so hard, (laughs) (laughs) but I think it it definitely led us to some like brand new places that we've never been before. And I'm really proud of like the, yeah, the message that the songs and the album are sending. Right. It sounds like you guys are experiencing like a certain degree of evolution in terms of just pushing your own boundaries and your own envelopes to kind of like get to territory that's a little uncharted, which is super cool. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And then my new solo record is coming out sometime next year too. It's done, but I'm just figuring out how to put it out. But that's, that's one that I'm like very, very stoked on as well in a totally different way. Those songs are more personal to me, more about, you know, just my own internal journey for the last couple of years. And I got to make it with Dan Malad producing, who is like not somebody I'd worked with before, but he's just someone who like my ears were like, yes, this is the way this guy is doing what I want. I love, I love the songs that I've heard from it thus far. I'm very, very excited. Yes, you're in my music video. Yes, I have. I am. I'm definitely, (laughs) yeah. I mean, I don't want to give it away too much, but I am in the music video, which is very exciting. Yes. You're in my, my other music video too. Yeah, I've been, I've, I've featured in a couple of the BK music videos. I was a runner in one and then I was the, the bass yes. player in another. Thank you very Cooking much. Outlaws. <laughs> cooking Outlaws, baby. Uh, Bridget does have a bass that she got that is a Cooking out cookin Outlaws sticker on it. So if you ever hear anyone say Cooking Outlaws, they're probably referring to Bridget's famous bass, the Cooking mm. Outlaws bass. I don't what know. What do you have coming up? You have a more touring. I go on tour tomorrow, um, starting in Texas, and then we go to the West Coast. We continue on the Echo the Diamond tour, which has been a, like a very special tour for me, and unlike anything else I've ever done before. Um, probably the most immersive thing I've ever done, and the most like demanding of like my whole person in terms of just like diving headfirst into something and like being on stage in that way where it's like only that exists for 90 minutes straight. It's kind of wild. Um, so that's what I'm up to. I I'm almost kind of done writing a a new record right now. So I've been, I've been cooking up some outlaws. (laughs) (laughs) I've been cooking up some tunes, which has been cool. Um, kind of a dip, totally different thing. I'm going to do some shows too in December with, um, my hubby. We're going to do some duo shows, Julian and I opening for Andrew Bird as part of his, and he does like this kind of, um, wintertime, uh, show every December where he does like a string of shows. So we'll be playing with him as a special guest for like seven shows in Chicago. That'll be really fun. How do you feel? Um, like getting these songs from the new record on stage and just like touring again. It feels, uh, it feels really incredible. I mean, to be honest with you between, you know, the last time I was properly touring, headlining my own shows. And now so much has happened in my life that I feel like almost like a different person. So now when I'm on stage, it just has a very different context for me. I had a couple of epiphanies, I think in terms of like when I started playing and touring, 
as a professional musician for the first time, I was probably about 25 or 26 years old. And now I'm 34 and it takes on different meaning for me. Um, I think that somehow when I was younger, there was a kind of almost like, woo, this is wild and fun and cool. And I'm just doing this thing where I get to go around the world and, you know, planes, trains, automobiles. It was almost a spectacle in itself that I was doing it. And now I'm over the spectacle and the music part is what carries the most weight. Mm. I find joy in all the different parts of it, but it also, I'm like, I'm just ready to be on stage and to play the show. And I think that now when I'm on stage, I've had this like epiphany of feeling like, right, when I'm here, it's this opportunity for this kind of immense amount of compassion that I've started to experience while being up there. And I think I've started to understand that if that's what it represents to me, it's just the only place I want to be is on stage (laughs) because it kind of represents this bubble for me to be in. And I mean, I, I hope I could just be that like that in all, you know, when I'm off stage also, and I try my best, but there's something that happens now when I perform that I start to see myself being able to tap into this compassion for the, all of the audience and for myself at the same time, like kind of more of a 360 feeling. So to the point that really like no one can do anything wrong, you know, like no one's to blame. If I play what is perceived as the wrong thing, it's something that it's just a part of the show now. You know, if someone's talking to their friend loudly (laughs) in front of the stage, it's not something that's going wrong. It's just a part of the experience right now. Mm -hmm. That feeling is really a fun place to be in for me. You know, it's a lot easier for me to feel compassion for other people, but to feel it for myself is very difficult. Usually, especially on stage, it just, everything gets very amplified. I don't know if you've experienced that, but it just makes you want to be there all day long. Just the idea, like, like speaking of compassion and the audience being like compassionate for you and you being compassionate for yourself, like. I think so much of performance and songwriting is like about empathy and giving the audience or the listener an opportunity to empathize with the story that you're telling. And like that also kind of came to me as like the idea of like you yourself being like an avatar for other people's feelings and experiences. Yeah. And, and in different musical contexts that can, can be different. Like, like, uh, I feel like in Lake Street Dive, we're like mostly an avatar for like friendship and joy. Like we're like on stage being like, look how awesome it can be to like make music with your friends and have a good time, you know? Yeah. And like, then like playing my own songs, like a lot of them are more sad. And so that, that you become like, in an uh, avatar for other people's pain, which yeah. is like crazy thing to be yeah. and to give, you know? Yeah. The avatar thing is a really good way of putting it. I was actually having a conversation with Corey Wong earlier today and was talking to him about this exact thing and kind of the absurdity of being a musician and doing it for a living and this kind of traveling circus element that you're just like, you know, going to city, city to city, you get on stage, you kind of, everybody chooses to be in this one location. And then like a crowd of people gets excited about sound being made, you know, 
<laughs> and we all kind of mutually decide this is a cool thing that's happening. But there's something about the need for what that performer does that brings the audience there. And I feel like the avatar kind of metaphor is a good one. When you said that, you know, Lake Street Dive can be this kind of love friendship, you know, fun bubble that you get to go into. People that need the love friendship fun bubble are going to, you know, show up for that avatar. And I think that slowly I started to realize that like, you know, like what is your avatar in some way or shape or form? And I, I think it can evolve certainly and change and grow and all the things to put a label on is probably too definitive. But at the same time, the, the older I get, the more I see the flag, you know, that I am flying. And I think mm-hmm. one of them might be like a risk flag. I like it when there's risk involved in some way, shape or form that yes. things could fall apart. You know, it just brings me so much energy in life to know, like, it, you know, it's one, one step away from <laughs> just totally falling apart it's just that's so fun for me yes and then there is like a um a vulnerability maybe that uh not not vulnerability for you know, manipulation's sake but vulnerability for just reality's sake of mm-hmm. of being able to experience it's so what i crave is being able to experience performance and stagecraft in a way that is not a facade but instead leans into some sense of vulnerability and life-giving in that way um, mm-hmm. to be able to say that there's power in vulnerability and instead of you know there's power in defensiveness or there's power in power you know it's for me I think I'm finding more and more that I crave to be on stage in a way that has without defense um, mm-hmm. which is so interesting and challenging <laughs> Ah, and I, I totally see that in what you do. Oh, thank you. That, that means the world to me coming from you. Goodness. I appreciate that. But it's definitely the aim, whether I actually do it or not is, <laughs> you know, my ego gets involved like way too much, but that to follow that strain is like, that feels just like never ending, interesting territory to just, you know, present without walls is, is really bizarre. I could sit here and talk to you forever, Bridget. Right, right. Like how long is how long is your program? <laughs> forever. <laughs> My program is forever. Uh, I love you so much. It's so wonderful to get to hang and talk. And yeah, I just let's do it very soon. Yeah, this was really fun. Super, super fun. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Talkhouse podcast, and thanks to Margaret Glaspie and Bridget Carney for chatting. If you liked what you heard, please follow Talkhouse on your favorite podcasting platform and check out all the goodness at talkhouse.com. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan, and the Talkhouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.